Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome worship tonight. Thank you, Nicole and Nate, for leading us tonight. First Kings, chapter 18, as we continue our series on the life and ministry of Elijah, the man who was called by God to restore proper worship in Israel. And speaking of victory, last week we looked at that great victory that Elijah had on Mount Carmel against the false prophets of Baal. And as we were singing those songs tonight, I, I couldn't help but just be reminded and just want to encourage you, let's not forget that our victory is in the Lord. And, and we have victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And so when we go up against the enemy of our soul, let's remember that that enemy is already defeated. And we need to claim the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. Now tonight, we want to primarily look at the perspective, if you will, the attitude of Elijah the prophet immediately after this great victory and then a little bit further after this victory because his attitude changes. And one of the things that we are reminded of then in this passage we're going to look at tonight is it is our attitude, not our aptitude, that determines our altitude. Attitude is so important. And that's why God, through the Holy Spirit, wants to always work on our attitude and have us maintain a proper attitude because our attitude, not our aptitude, determines our altitude. Immediately following the great victory on Mount Carmel, you see that Elijah's perspective, outlook, attitude is being shaped primarily by two things, two things that can shape our attitude as well. In verse 41, then Elijah, Yah is God, Yahweh is God, told Ahab, go up and eat and drink. The Lord has claimed his victory on Mount Carmel. Now he's going to bring rain. For the sound of a heavy rainstorm can be heard. The sound of thunder can be heard. Elijah's perspective, even before God brings the rain, is that his attitude and perspective and outlook is shaped by the promises of God. God told Elijah in chapter 18, verse 1, go and appear before Ahab and tell him, get ready, rain's coming. And as soon as my people turn back to me, I'm sending the rain. Revival is coming. Well, it hadn't rained yet. And as yet, he hadn't even seen a cloud yet, but he heard something in the distance. But he told his servant, and then he told Ahab, go up, it's coming. You see, his whole attitude, his whole perspective, his whole outlook was being shaped by the promises of God. One of the reasons why we need to know the promises of God and cling to the promises of God is because many times the promises of God are what shape our attitude and outlook and perspective on things. And here's one of the main reasons why. Because if you don't know this, let me tell you something. God keeps his promises. Yeah. 
God is trustworthy. God is reliable. God is dependable. Everything God has said he will do, it will come to pass. So when God said, I'm sending rain, Elijah knew rain was coming because God said so. Notice something else. While Ahab went up to eat and drink, Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. Even though both men were hungry, Ahab was all about first feeding his flesh before feeding his soul. Elijah was like, nope, I can put my flesh off just a little bit longer. I need to pray. And he bent down toward the ground and put his face between his knees. This was a posture of prayer that evidenced humility. And his face-to-face -face time with God was shaping his perspective. When you and I spend face-to-face -face time with God in prayer, it will not only change our attitude, our perspective, our outlook. It will continually bring humility into our life because no one can be spending time in the presence of the Almighty God and not keep ourselves in a humble place. We know we're in the presence of one far greater than us. But you'll also notice something else that's created when we spend time with God in prayer. Verse 43, he told his servant, go on up, ascend, a climb, and look in the direction of the sea. Look intently, scan the horizon. He's telling his servant, look expectantly. I know God's going to send it. So look expectantly. There's not only in a sense, an attitude of humility that's brought about when we spend face-to-face -face time with God in prayer that obviously affects our attitude. It, it also brings a humility and an expectancy to God's people. We should live with expectancy, not only because of the promises of God, but because of our spending time in the presence of God. Because God always wants to do something new. God is always at work, always doing something, always bringing something about. And we're going to talk about that actually next week from 1 Kings 19 when we go back in there next week. Are you and I living with expectancy? It's one of the things that I think God is doing in our midst at the Oasis. And I'll tell you how I see it first and foremost in our worship. I feel like more and more people are coming on Sundays and Wednesdays expecting God to do something when we worship him, that he's meeting with us here, and that we're coming with a sense of expectancy. God, we anticipate you're going to do something. When God's people live that way, both corporately and individually, God shows up. God will do something when we expect our God and anticipate him to do something. Look in the direction of the sea. So he went up and he looked and reported, there's nothing. But notice something else. Seven times Elijah sent him to look. Seven times. Why? Because God doesn't always answer our prayer immediately. He doesn't always fulfill his promises immediately. But when you and I have an attitude or perspective that's shaped by the promises of God and by the presence of God in prayer, not only will we re remain humble, not only will re we remain expectant, but we will have an endurance to our life, a staying power, a stick to itiveness. We won't get discouraged easily. 
I was talking about this passage a couple days ago with Nicole, and she said, man, that guy must have gotten tired going up and down that mountain seven times. I said, yeah, you're right. I actually never realized that, but that poor servant. And to think that the servant's like, really, Elijah, you want me to go back up one more time? Okay. But notice in verse 44, the seventh time the servant said, look, a small, dark cloud the size of the palm of a man's hand is rising up from the sea. I think it's interesting that the servant saw this cloud in the shape of a hand because I believe that this was God's hand. God's hand bringing not just rain, but again, symbolically revival to his people. He wanted to refresh his people as they turned back to him again. That's what will always happen when we turn to him and when we turn back to him. There will be showers of refreshing, you see. So Elijah then said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up the chariots and go down so that the rain, rain won't overtake you because it's going to rain. When God brings the rain, he brings the rain. God is a God of abundance. And when he pours out his blessing, he doesn't hold back. So in these first few verses, or should I say the last few verses of chapter 18, I just want to again go back. Our attitude is so important, it will determine our altitude in life. You and I as Christians can have our attitude shaped by the promises of God and by the presence of God. And in a sense, when you think about that, it's the Word of God and it's worship. It's spending time with God in His presence, drawing near to Him. Those two elements will shape our perspective, which is why we should continually be in the presence of God, both in prayer and in worship and praise, and also in the Word of God, clinging and finding out the promises of God. But there's something else that's key to our life, and that is power. And God doesn't want us to live in our own power and strength because there's a limit to our own power and strength. God wants us to live in his power and strength. And notice Elijah was that way too. It says, meanwhile, verse 45, the sky was covered with dark clouds, the wind blew, and there was a heavy rainstorm, and Ahab rode toward Jezreel. By the way, Jezreel means God is sowing. God's doing something. He's planting seeds as the rain is falling. I believe God's doing that in our church right now. He's not only sending the rain, but he's planting some seeds in fertile soil. But notice this. Now the Lord energized Elijah with power. Literally, the hand of God came upon Elijah. That's what it means in Hebrew. And that's why I even think that that palm of the man's hand, that cloud in the shape of the size of the palm of a man's hand, could have been God's hand as well. Because God's hand is all in this. He's the one that brought the supernatural fire that consumed the offering on Mount Carmel. He's the one that's bringing the rain. He's the one that is energizing his servant Elijah, just as he wants to energize us, his servants today. God wants to supply us with supernatural strength and ability, a strength and ability that enables us to do what we could never do without it. 
what we could never do on our own without God. And notice what this enabled Elijah to do. He tucked his robe into his belt. Remember what that phrase is? He girded up his what? Loins. That's exactly what he did. He tucked his robe in his belt so he could start running. And notice, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel, which probably about 20 miles. Ran ahead of a chariot. How could he do that? Because God's hand was upon him. Because God energized him. God gave him supernatural strength and ability way beyond what he could do humanly. You and I have to believe that God wants to do that with us. Now, it might not be that God is giving us the task of running ahead of a chariot, but there's plenty of times during the day, the week, the month, or especially this year that you and I have been in where God says, you need my supernatural strength and ability, and I'm willing to give it to you. Are you wanting to receive it? And do you believe it if you receive it that you can go way beyond what you could ever do without it? You could mount up with wings like eagles and run and not get weary. Because this year has been a year that brings weariness. <laughs> when is it going to end? Well, you know what? Maybe it ain't going to end for a while. And you and I just need to say, God, just give me the strength. Instead of me praying for something to end, just give me the strength to just keep on going, God. Because no matter what you have in front of me, God, you're already there, and you will give your servants who listen to you and look to you the strength and the ability and the energy we need to keep on going through the finish line. To be like Paul, who said, I kept the faith. I finished my course. I ran all the way through the tape. Never gave up. Power, power and perspective. But now look at chapter 19. And this is a great lesson for us and sort of a cautionary tale for us. I entitled the message tonight, The Vulnerability of Victory. For this reason, God worked through Elijah in a powerful way, dynamic way. And there was this great victory on Mount Carmel, again, against the false prophets of Baal. And very soon after that victory, Elijah had a great perspective. His perspective was being shaped by the promises of God and prayer and the presence of God. And he was being energized by God. And he was expressing this supernatural power. And he, in a sense, he was on the mountaintop. But then James tells us in the book of James, Elijah was a human being just like us, susceptible to the ups and downs of our attitude and our perspective. And so notice in chapter 19, Ahab went back and told his wife Jezebel all that Elijah had done, including a detailed account of how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah with this warning, May the gods judge me severely if by this time tomorrow I do not take your life as you did there. Elijah was afraid, so he got up and fled for his life to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there, and while he went a day's journey into the desert, 
he went and sat under a shrub and asked the Lord to take his life. I've had enough. Now, Lord, take my life. Wait a minute. Is this the same guy that just ran ahead of a chariot for 20 miles? Is this the same guy that was calling fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel and God using him in such a, again, a, a, such a dynamic, significant way? Absolutely. But notice his perspective has changed. First of all, notice this. Verse 3, Elijah retreated before a defeated enemy. Ahab and Jezebel were defeated. Baal had been defeated. The prophets of Baal had been defeated. But he ran away from a defeated enemy. It is a reminder to us that Jesus Christ has secured our victory over every enemy that will ever come against us. And you and I need to realize when we run away from things lesser than Jesus Christ, we are running away from a defeated enemy. Because Jesus Christ has secured victory over every enemy that you and I will ever come in contact with. But it happens. And why does it happen? Because our perspective and our attitude is changed. Notice in verse 3, the word afraid, the word is a very interesting word. It means to see things as they appear to be, not as they really are. In other words, Elijah, in a sense, was like Peter in this moment that instead of continuing to look to God as Peter looked to Jesus while he walked on the water, he got his eyes off of God and off of the greatness of God and what caused him to be able to run ahead of the chariot of Ahab and call fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel. And he got his eyes on his earthly foes and circumstances. And he started to see things as they appear to be, not as they really are, because he was sort of now starting to walk by sight rather than by faith. So he ran away, ran away from a defeated foe. Now, there's a lot in this chapter, and we're actually going to spend next week back in this chapter, but I just want to hit some highlights tonight and then go back into this great chapter because there's so much here. I can't do it justice in just a week. One of the reasons why Elijah's attitude and perspective had changed was Elijah was drained. Because of his ministry recently, because of the great victory, and this is one of the reasons why we're vulnerable and we need to be aware of the fact that after great mountaintop spiritual experiences and after great victories sometimes and seeing God work and move, we can be vulnerable simply because we are spiritually, emotionally, and physically drained. Can I tell you some of my most vulnerable times are Wednesday night after Bible study and Sunday afternoon after Sunday morning church? 
because I'm drained from what I've just done and I'm in a vulnerable place with my attitude. Some weeks of heavy ministry and, you know, meeting with people and all that, I have to be careful that I'm not allowing myself to get spiritually, emotionally, and physically drained because that's where Elijah was. He had poured himself out, but he now was in a very vulnerable position. You and I need to be aware of that. And we'll talk more about that, not only this week, but next week. There's another reason why Elijah's perspective, attitude, outlook had changed. He was disillusioned or disappointed for this reason. Elijah thought he had this whole thing figured out. God's going to call fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel and consume the sacrifice. And Ahab and Jezebel are going to put their heads between their knees or put their tail between their legs, however you want to say it. And they're going to run off in, you know, embarrassment and humiliation. And everybody in Israel is going to forsake the worship of Baal. And all the faithful people of God are going to rise up. And this is going to happen instantaneously. And there's going to be this just immediate change. No, no, it didn't happen that way. And Elijah's missed expectations have now caused this disillusionment and disappointment like, well, she's after my life. This didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out. I, I, I thought there was going to be this total and immediate and complete just turnaround. But that wasn't God's plan, and God never told Elijah that was the way it was going to be. In fact, we're going to see later on in this chapter, God is going to continue to purge the worship of Baal out of Israel, but he's going to do it through a process that's going to take time. He's not going to do it immediately. See, Elijah had an expectation that God was going to work one way, and when God didn't show up that way, mm, vulnerability. So he was vulnerable not only because he was spiritually, emotionally, and physically drained, he was also vulnerable, and his attitude and perspective and all of that began to tank because he thought things were going to turn out different than what they did, and God never promised him that, so that was something he was cooking up in his own head. We have to be careful of those things because they are two of the primary things that get our attitude and our perspective and our outlook in a bad place. A couple interesting things here before I go into the encouragement that God gives to Elijah. In verse 4, he won a day's journey into the desert, literally the wilderness. And you know where he was? He was in the same wilderness the children of Israel were in when they wandered around for 40 years. Same place. Think about that. When you and I get away from God and we're in a bad place, what do we begin to do? Run around in circles. We're not really making any progress. We're not going forward anymore. Now we're just circling around in the wilderness. We're in a dry place. He went and sat down under a shrub, literally a juniper tree, and asked the Lord to let him die. I'm out here in the wilderness. There's not much to eat. There's not much to drink. 
It's desert. We all know what that's like. Just let me die here. I've had enough. Literally in the Hebrew, this is all greater than me or too great for me. Guess what? That's true. Remember back in the call of God series, I said God will always call us to something greater than ourselves so that we always have to and continually have to rely and depend upon him to do it. It wasn't a mistake for Elijah to say, all that's going on is too great or too big for me, because it always is when we're doing what God wants us to do. But that's why God will supply all that we need. When you and I do it without him and without his resources and his supernatural enablement and grace and all of that, We'll hit rock bottom very quickly. But when we do it with his grace and with his strength and all of that, we can go forever. Because it's God who's energizing and supplying and all of that. God always asks us to do greater things than what we can do on our own. So with that said, we really see... (laughs) the defender of our heart, don't we, that we sung about tonight? Because God could have said, man, you're such a disappointment to me, Elijah. Look at how I've used you and how I've magnified you in the nation of Israel and how I worked through you. And now you're coming out here, running away from a defeated enemy and telling me just to let you die? Fine. No, not our God. That's not who our God is. See, God is with us on the mountaintop, but God is with us in the desert. And when we're at our lowest and and when we're at our worst, God is there too. And God will never leave us alone. His love will not let us alone. His love pursues us. His love woos us. His love will encourage us and refresh us. And that's exactly what he does with Elijah because he's not finished with Elijah yet. And so he's coming after Elijah just as God will come after us when we're not in a good place. And in this passage of Scripture, and again, we're going to continue this next week because there's so much here we're not going to get to tonight. I want you to see that God's encouragement came to him in the form of four things. Provision, presence, purpose, and partner. I love alliteration. Let's look real quickly at these four tonight. Provision. And like I said, I've got layers of this, so we'll come back to it. There's a lot that I'm leaving out on purpose tonight. First of all, provision. Verse 5, he stretched out and fell asleep under a shrub. Why? Because he was tired. You and I need to be careful that, again, we're getting our rest because we become vulnerable and our attitude begins to tank when we're tired and we're not getting our rest. He was a tired individual. He was also hungry. All of a sudden, an angelic messenger touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked, and right there by his head was a cake baking on hot coals and a jug of water. He ate and drank and then slept some more. The Lord's angel came back again, touched him and said, get up and eat again, for otherwise you won't be able to make the journey. He ate a lot. He slept a lot. Why? Because that's what he needed. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you and I can do for ourselves is to rest and eat properly and get our nutrition. 
Because sometimes we're not feeling well and we're not doing well simply because we're not taking care of ourselves physically. Listen, God made us body, soul, and spirit, and they all are tied together. And our soul and spirit begins to be negatively effective and suffer when physically we're not doing well. So the first thing God did was provide sleep and food for Elijah. Might not seem very spiritual to many people, but... Can I tell you, it was very spiritual because his spirit was being affected by his lack of sleep and lack. He was drained, and he needed to be restored physically. But he also needed to be restored spiritually, and that's why the presence of God comes to him here, not only in the form of the angelic messenger, but in the form of the Lord too. Notice it says in verse 9, all of a sudden the Lord spoke to him. Why are you here, Elijah? We'll get to those questions next week. Notice the Lord said in verse 11, go out and stand at the mountain before the Lord. Look, the Lord is ready to pass by. God's way of correcting Elijah's perspective was a divine encounter engagement with the presence of God. A very powerful wind went before the Lord, digging into the mountain and causing landslides, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the windstorm, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a soft whisper. God was there. And Elijah needed to learn to sense God's presence in the stillness. That's why I love the songs we sang tonight. We'll talk more about this. God wants to build a God consciousness into his people where we can sense him, not just in the spectacular, not just in the dramatic events, but even in the stillness of life, that we know he's there. That's what he was doing with Elijah. It was the presence of God that was transforming his mind and his heart and his soul and his spirit. Purpose, verse 15. The Lord said, okay, I've given you enough time to, you know, grovel and get turned around physically and all of that. Now, it's time to get back into it. I got a task for you. Go back, verse 15, the way you came. Head for the desert of Damascus. Go and anoint Haziel, king over Syria, Jehu, king over Israel, and Elisha to take your place as prophet. Jehu will kill anyone who escapes Haziel's sword, and Elisha will kill anyone who escapes Jehu's sword. He's simply saying, look, these three men are going to continue purging Baal worship because they all can't stand Baal worship, and they're going to just sort of pick up the mantle, literally, where you left off. These will be my instruments. But God gave him a purpose. That's what God does in our life. When he wants to encourage us, he will provide what is needed spiritually, emotionally, and physically so that we can be restored and revived and refreshed. He will provide his presence so that our spirit and soul can be filled up with him and encouraged by him and transformed by him. And he will give us purpose so that we can stop thinking about ourselves alone and start getting involved in other people's lives and in the work of the Lord. God will only allow us to sort of 
settle into that victim mentality and that self-pity for so long, and then God's going to say, okay, time to get back up and get going again. And then finally, partner. Verse 19, Elijah went from there and found Elisha. When Elijah passed by him, verse 19, he threw his robe over him. Why? Because he was symbolically calling him to be his companion and partner for a time until obviously we know God was going to then take Elijah to heaven in that fiery chariot. And why was that important? Because we've studied the life of Elijah up to this point. What did he keep saying to God all the time? I'm all alone. I, I'm alone. There's, there's nobody else. It's just me out there doing all the fighting. So God says, fine. I'll give you a partner to support and encourage you as you support and encourage them. And my friends, it is so important that we have others around us where we don't feel like we're all alone. The enemy will always isolate us. Notice Elijah. Where's he at? In the wilderness, by himself. Now, God goes after him, but he's there by himself. God gives us people in our life. And every once in a while, too, God will bring literally a partner into our life that we can do life and ministry with that will be a great encouragement to us and support to us and refreshment to us. And finally, Elijah had that in Elisha. And I can tell you from personal experience, there, the value of partners like that, incalculable. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. Why did Jesus send out his disciples two by two? There's a principle there. Don't do life and ministry alone. Ask God to give you an Elisha. It will change your perspective, your outlook, and your attitude when you have someone to share life and ministry with. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for meeting again with us here. We thank you, God, for your presence being with us. God, you want to defend our heart. You want to stabilize it and settle it in the midst of turmoil and chaos and whatever is going on, Lord, in and around us. And all we have to do, God, is be still. All we have to do is, even in the stillness, learn to be conscious of your presence. Learn to recognize you, God, not just in the extraordinary and the dramatic, like the Mount Carmel experiences of our life, but even more so in the times you're just whispering, where everything is quiet and still. God, you're still there. And God, I just pray tonight that through our worship here and through the ministry of the word here tonight, 
God, all of us have been refueled in some way and refreshed and renewed so that we can go back out and be your servants. Help us, God, to have our attitude and perspective shaped by your promises and by your presence, and help us, God, to live by your energy and your power that you're willing to supply to your servants every day. May we guard against the vulnerability, Lord, of our human frailty, and especially, Lord, after great victories in our life. And realize, Lord, that we've got to be careful that we don't get drained spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And that somehow our expectations of the way things were supposed to turn out are different from the way they actually did. And that's causing us disappointment and disillusionment unnecessarily. God, help us in those times to trust that as again we sung about, God, better is your way. Better is salvation the way you want to do it, the way you deliver it, the way you bring it about, rather than our way, God. So God, take us from this place. Use us, God, in this world to be light, to be salt, to be whatever you need us to be, God. May we make ourselves available to you each and every day, These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.